Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you will hear an uplifting message. Our hope is that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. Today, open up your hearts and get ready to receive what Pastor Stephanie has specifically for Social Dallas. It's an on-time word, and I'm ready to hear it twice. And you better believe I'll be streaming on 6 p.m. and watching it again this week, okay? So can we give it up for Pastor Stephanie? Round of applause. Here she is, the queen, a whole queen. I want to say good morning, but you know it's morning somewhere in the world. So hello, Social Dallas. I am so excited to be with you all. <laughs> Amen. Can we just praise Jesus in this room? Amen, amen. You know, it's so crazy, you know, in life, what you think is your weakness, God would always use as your strength. I was telling Pastor Taylor, when God called me into ministry, I was insecure because I was like, God, my voice is very, you know, sometimes like my brothers used to make fun of me. They're like, you sound like a kid. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't, I just, that's just how I am. And the Lord is like, yeah, I'm going to use that. And it always amazes me when it's highlighted. And I just want to share this with you that whatever you're looking at as your weakness, you need to have a weakness for God to be attracted to you because his strength is made perfect in our weaknesses. And so if you're counting yourself out and you're like, God, I can't do this because the very thing you're saying is your weakness. God says, how else am I supposed to show my glory if you don't have a couple of those, right? But I'm just so grateful to be here. My husband is here. I'm a newlywed. <laughs> and my pastor is here product of One Church LA. It is my home. I'm an executive pastor there. My pastors are Pastor Ture Roberts and Pastor Sarah Jakes Roberts. And my pastor, that's my spiritual father. You know, in life, there's something he always says, and it's my truth, that many times, you know, you may not feel like you got what you wanted, but God would always give you what you needed. My father was murdered when I was a baby. And it's so crazy. My father was murdered September 7th. My spiritual father was born September 8th. And <laughs> I just know God will always give you what you need. And so family, let's pray in this house. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for your love. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this moment, oh God, that it was ordained before time. And we are just here to live out what you've always wanted for us on this, in this moment, in this time, oh God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will glorify Jesus. You will not glorify me. You will not glorify anyone in this room, but you would glorify Jesus through the words that we speak, through our worship, through everything that takes place. Glorify Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, it's so beautiful. I was just hearing, even during the offering, um, and sewing, how you guys are looking for a building, and even being in this time, right? You know, moving around from building to building, and I, I, I'm so intrigued by that because a couple of days ago, the Lord just began to give me a word, even for this house, and He began to show me just the evangelistic anointing on this house to draw many who were lost and to be found in Christ, many who are in darkness 
into God's light. And what you're, we, we, even though it feels like, man, we're just going from building and setting up and did this building and that building, but what you're doing really is circling the city. You're putting stake in the ground because at the very same places that maybe people are coming in here, you know, having a concert, having a club or whatever, you're saying, no, we are going to shift the atmosphere of darkness into the atmosphere of God's light. And the Lord began to show me there is going to be such an uplifting. There's going to be a favor. And there were three particular areas he mentioned, and it was entertainment, arts, and sports. And there's going to be this and entertainment, even covering music. And he is lifting you up, not because he's just trying to make you happy, but your rising is connected to a kingdom agenda for the house. You see, being planted in the house of God is necessary because you recognize that your life serves a bigger picture. It's not just for you and your family. God has an agenda. Wherever there is the house of God, there is the government of God, and he has an agenda for his house. And so you're going to start experiencing just what will feel like uncommon favor, right? You're going to step into rooms. You're going to get the part. You're going to get the deal. But it's not because you're just, God, God, you know, you're going to call your friends and be like, God just blessed me, girl. No. God is blessing you for his agenda, right? And so you're going to start drawing people to this house. And the Lord began to say, to tell the house, prepare for expansion. Prepare for expansion. Because it's just going to hit, right? And it's not just for the pastors. It's for the community, Whenever you hear about things like church hurt, church hurt is only aimed at the pastors, but through the community. It's not necessarily something the pastors did. It's something they experienced within the community. So this is a call for everyone to recognize that you are the church, right? It's not a building. You are the church. And we're going to go into um, something so beautiful today. If you're taking notes, my message is open your eyes. And I'm going to be reading from Acts 26, verse 12 to 18. And a little bit of a backstory. The Apostle Paul is speaking in this scripture. Now, Paul at a time, you know, he was known as a man named Saul. And, you know, under the identity of Saul, he used to persecute Christians. Um, he used to order and vote for Christians to be murdered and killed. And it was just all, he had this, he was committed to an agenda of darkness, of ignorance, because he thought what he was doing was the right thing to do. And there was a, cer a certain time that Paul is taking this journey and the Lord encounters him. Now in this scripture, what I want to highlight about this scripture is that this is a time where we get the most accounts of what happened when Paul encountered God, right? So in this time, he's a prisoner. And there are people that hate him. They're just hating on the man. You know, how many people know that when you're doing the, God, the, the Lord's work, there are people that just hate on you for no reason, right? And so people are just hating on him. But the reality is that they were coming from an agenda of darkness. So they came together. They even made an oath. They said, we're not going to eat or drink until we kill Paul. And when I read that, I said, listen. If people can fast for evil, surely we can fast for revival, right? Surely we can fast for the things of God to hit the city. They came together in fasting for a man to be murdered. But God obviously, you know, secured his life. But here's the crazy thing because Paul is a prisoner. He's being brought before different rulers and kings. 
And they're looking at it like Paul is here to plead his cause because right here he's being brought before another ruler, a certain king, and he's, you know, he's there to speak to the king. And everyone else is looking at Paul like you are here to plead your case. But Paul is excited. When you read the beginning, we're not going to go through the whole, you know, chapter, but when you read the beginning, Paul is even telling the king that I am happy to stand before you. He's not happy just because he wants to plead his case because Paul recognized this was the word of God to me, that I would witness of Jesus to the kings, to the Gentiles. You see, sometimes you have to ask the Lord, why am I in the room? Paul recognized he wasn't in the room because he was a prisoner of man. He was in the room because he was a prisoner of Christ. And God needed, orchestrated a way that he would be before kings to testify of Jesus. You see, whenever you are in a room, whether it's a room that feels, you know, glorious, if you think you're there to take a selfie, you missed it. Because God does not expose you by accident. When you're in the room, you need to start asking the Lord, why am I in here? You see, because people don't carry depression on their faces. People don't carry suicidal thoughts. It's not written on someone's head. People don't carry what they're struggling with on their faces. And when you're in a room that you're so moved by, whether you're moved for good or for bad, because sometimes you might be in a room and you're like, God, this is a depressing room. This is the room that reminds me of my failures. This is the room that reminds me of all the things I didn't do. Maybe you're in this job that you hate. And every time you go to that job, it just reminds you of how you were defeated. And you're like, God, how could this be? But why are you in the room? You see, many times the only reason we say we're disappointed is that we lack revelation. We lack, re Paul, if Paul did not know that God was already using you before kings, he would have been a prisoner who was depressed. But Paul was a prisoner on fire for God because he knew why he was in the room. Maybe that job that you hate, God has you there to be a witness unto someone else. Maybe there is a door he wants to open up for you in that job that wouldn't be opened up elsewhere because God is a God of regions and territories. He did not just send you in the time that he did to the family that he did, to the city that he did on accident. God understands he is the Lord over your life. So Paul understood the assignment. He knew why he was in the room. He says, you know what, this is going to be a moment to testify. And so because of that, Paul begins to give an account of what happened when he encountered God. So listen to this. So he says, while thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, he's kind of just given a backstory that there were people that gave me authority to do this when he was persecuting Christians, right? At midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand to your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister 
and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I, am, I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well from the Gentiles whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You see, the Lord encounters Paul. One of the things that Paul did not put in this account is that after his encounter, he literally went blind. He was blind for three days while being commissioned to open blind eyes. Because let's, Paul, I want you to understand this is not about natural sight. This is about spiritual sight. And the Lord allowed him to experience what has been his reality. That Paul, you have been walking in darkness. And because you were walking in darkness, Satan had authority over you. You see, I love when the Lord says this, right? That you will turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. How do we turn someone from the power of Satan, from the influence of the evil one to God? He said, it is by opening their eyes. Now, this is so intriguing because even when we go all the way back to creation, in the beginning, the Bible tells us that, you know, the darkness was over the face of the deep and everything was empty and void. And before God began to put things in order, the first thing he says, let there be light. And he wasn't talking about the sun, the moon, or the stars. This was a spiritual language. Because he says, first of all, we need to set order in whose territory this is. This territory belongs to the kingdom of heaven. Let there be light. And the Bible says, and there was light. You see, when Jesus talks about himself, there are very few words that Jesus shares with people. Because when he talks about himself, you will see him say things like, I am the way, the truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He would never say we are. <laughs> you know, Jesus was not standing with his disciples and say we are the way. No, he said, please. <laughs> he said, just so you get it right, I, okay? There is only one of me, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. But then there is something he shares with humanity because Jesus would also say, I am the light of the world, and then he will call you the light of the world. Because every time Jesus will connect his identity to, to a, a, an expression, he is also revealing to you how the enemy is defeated. He is also revealing to you the posture in which you overcome. That light in itself is a threat. I don't even have to say too much. I am the light of the world. Because where there is light, Satan has no power. You see, the Bible calls him the ruler of darkness. In darkness, he thrives. In darkness, he is within his boundaries. You see, one of the things that set me free from this whole idea that, you know, the enemy is oppressing me is reality that he has not crossed any boundaries. So if he's oppressing me, I must be in his kingdom. And if he's oppressing me, maybe I have misconstrued what is happening because maybe the warfare I'm experiencing is not what he brought, it's what I started. But if I feel oppressed, then I might not be in the right kingdom. And this is what I mean by this. You see, there is only one instance when God judged angels. The only angels in hell that are chained 
literally are the angels that crossed boundaries. In the time of Noah, the Bible tells us how, you know, there were angels on the, you know, on the earth. And they saw the women. And they were like, those are some beautiful women, right? And I was guessing maybe they had no female, you know, angels or something. And uh, maybe they felt deprived. Maybe they saw people getting together. They said, Where, where's my companion? You know, I don't know what happened. But they saw the women. And they were like, they're beautiful. We want to, you know, get to know them a little bit better, right? <laughs> and so they had some relations with them. And children were born. And these were children that were outside of the will of God. This was nothing close to the image of God. This was, this was a hybrid of something that should have never existed. And the Bible tells us in 2 Peter that judgment, God released his judgment on those angels and chained them in hell because they crossed a boundary. And so if an angel or angels crossing a boundary caused them to be in chains in hell, why is Satan roaming free? Why does the Bible tell us that he is just walking, you know, to and fro on the earth? You know, he's, you know those little scooter bikes? He's on one of them, just riding, right? <laughs> and the Bible is like he is looking for who to devour. Why is Satan roaming free when there are angels locked up? That should tell you that he is still operating within boundaries, that the Lord is Lord over everything. And so if he is accessing and influencing my life in a way that is not in accordance to the will of God, what kingdom am I under? You see, I have begun to learn that when the enemy wants to attack you, sometimes what we think is warfare is not really warfare. It's what we started. We started going into the dark places and he is, you know, responding like, why are you in my territory? But true warfare from the enemy starts with sight. It starts with him trying to blind you because if he can blind you, then he has access to you. If the enemy can blind your understanding, you see, spiritual eyes is not what culture calls it. They call it the third eye. We're not doing that. <laughs> it's not that. <laughs> Spiritual eyes is the eyes of your understanding. It's when you can receive knowledge and have an understanding of the intent behind the words. That is why whenever there is revelation, revelation is not just about information. Revelation is knowledge and understanding. You see, there's a scripture I love so much is when Jesus is, you know, giving this parable of the sower and he's talking about a, a man who was sowing and he's throwing seeds in different places on rocky ground, you know, on fertile ground. And this is what he says when he explains the parable, right? In Matthew 13, verse 23, he says, but he who received seed on good ground, good ground is a fertile ground, a ground that, that, will, that understands the assignment, right? If I throw seed in you, you bring some things up, right? It's a fertile ground. He says that, but he who receives seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it and in, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. You see, understanding the word is everything. Because faith with understanding is power. Faith without understanding is really when you're, it's dead. I know we say faith without works is dead, but in order for you to have real works, you need understanding. 
Because you don't, sometimes we think that, oh man, God, I, need, I just need more faith. I'm praying that you would increase my faith. No, the Bible says that we have all been given a measure of faith. And Jesus literally says that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it would move for you. And Jesus wasn't mixing his words. He wasn't saying, he wasn't giving a parable. He said it like it is. He said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, a mustard seed is extremely tiny. He says, that is enough. Because it's not that you need more faith, you need understanding of what you have received. You see, even as believers, if we would just sit in the presence of God, and begin to ask the Lord, what does it mean to be your child? Can you explain that to me? What does it mean to truly be your child? Because if we understood what it means to be a child of the Most High God, a lot of our worries will just move over. Because you will begin to understand like, wait, my life is in God's hands. Anything that happens to me, high or low, he would work it for my good. It doesn't mean that your, your humanity might not rise up sometimes where you feel a little, you know, move, but you will get back into position because you will get back into truth. Your foundation and your core is the truth of what God said. But when you just receive words, 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 the enemy is like, okay, if you don't have understanding, let me see how I can snatch it away from you. What do I mean by this? Because we see spiritual blindness, it, it, it's very practical. Remember when you first gave your life to Jesus? How emotional you were, all the words you heard, the conviction of your heart. He told you so many things, right? And then all of a sudden, for some of you, you're like, God, I, I'm just, I'm gonna walk a celibate lifestyle for you. I just feel so convicted in my heart to be celibate. And then months go by, you meet a good looking person. You guys start talking. You invite them, you, show, you know, you, meet, you have them meet your pastors, your friends. You start talking about marriage. You go for a pre, whatever, pre-engagement counseling. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're like, I think I have peace to break this celibacy. <laughs> I, I just, I feel the peace of God that he is not against us because we love each other. And we are getting married. And you mean it when you say, I have peace on this. I just, whew, peace of the Lord all over me. <laughs> right? But what happened? Where, where did things shift from the first instruction God gave you to this place of compromise with peace? And how many areas of our lives do we find ourselves compromising with a, have you, have you guys seen that man who, the salt man? just does that right there and you just compromise and say but I got peace on it but you don't recognize that these are the signs of blindness because spiritual blindness is a progressive deviation from truth and truth is a person truth is not what you discuss in a group and say we all agree that sounds good truth is a standard truth is Jesus what is his standard for your life and how far did you fall from it with peace on it? You're like, God, I just feel some peace on this. You see, spiritual blindness is what it looks like when God gives you an instruction and you're so excited about that instruction, 
But along the way, you start to alter and modify it according to how it best suits you. You begin to procrastinate and you don't think anything is wrong because you see the enemy is very subtle. He has time, so he takes his time. You see, when the Bible says that, you know, he, he's, his time is short, he's, he's rushing and all that stuff, his time is short in the bigger picture. But when it comes to individuals, he says, oh, child, we could wait. <laughs> I got, maybe I'm going to put 20 years on this. I'm going to just watch you. I am studying you. I'm waiting for a little bit of compromise and consistency because I am after the word of God, sometimes not just over your life, but over your generation, over your legacy, over your children. Spiritual blindness. And I began to ask the Lord, what is one of the big causes in our generation? Why is it that we are not still enough to cultivate real relationship in the place of intimacy? Because you see, light is Jesus. The revelation that I'm speaking about is what is cultivated in his presence. True conviction happens in his presence. Because when you are far from the presence, you are being convicted by things of culture and society, not of the things of the kingdom of God, even though you keep showing up. You see, there is a funny thread with people that they call the Pharisees in the scriptures. These were people that literally thought they were following the book. Even when the Lord that they serve is in front of them, they couldn't recognize him. They were blind to the God they thought they were doing a favor. All their hypocrisy, they did not even realize they were hypocrites. Blindness, but it happens progressively. It's when you give a little bit here, you give in here, you give a little bit in there, and you're just, it is chipping away at your intimacy, it's chipping away at your purity, it's chipping away at your heart. And I asked the Lord, what is it concerning this generation? Because you see social, this message is so key for what God is doing in this community, in this church. Because when God begins to cause expansion, that is a threat to the enemy. When God wants to expand a thing, when the hand of God wants to just, I mean, release, increase, and abundance, that is when the enemy is like, okay, there's influence coming to this territory. So how can I dilute the power? God, if I cannot stop what you're doing, maybe I will join them. And this is what I mean by that. You see, one of the issues in our generation is that we are so obsessed by purpose over intimacy. We are so obsessed by God. Can I build a kingdom that I don't even know? We are so obsessed with this idea of God. What is the thing that you have called me to do without knowing the God who even called you? But when we go, when we look at what God said to a man named Jeremiah, he literally, in Jeremiah 1.5, he said, Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. And before you were born, Thank you, Jesus. Before you were born, I ordained you a prophet to the nations. What is God saying here? What came first? Intimacy. Jeremiah, before I announced you to your parents, 
before I announced that they were, their family was expanding, I knew you. I had intimacy with you. Before you were born, then I gave you a purpose. What does this look like? This is a pattern with God. Because before God announces you, you have to be in the secret place. Purpose is natural. It's a natural flow from the secret place. It is not what you chase after. It reveals itself to you because you are connected to the agenda that it is for. You can't be chasing a purpose for a kingdom that you are not planted in. So the Lord says, Jeremiah, before there was even a thought of you, we knew each other. That is why you see people in the Bible like Elijah. We have no idea where Elijah came from. He just showed up one day and he's speaking to kings with authority. We only know snippets of the life of Jesus while he was on earth. We know him as a baby. Then we know him at 12 when he was, you know, feeling himself. <laughs> then we know him at 30. And it's like, yo, what happened all these years? But then the Bible gives us clues. Because when Jesus would be in the temple, they would say that this was his custom. This was what he usually did. That in the hidden place, he was building an intimacy. Because although he was 100% God, he was still man. And we have to get back to being a generation that is after the heart of God and not just building things that people would applaud. Because the enemy recognizes there are things he can't stop. He can't stop the call of God on your life. Because the Bible says for everything there is a time and everything there is a season. And times and seasons belong to God. Your life is revealed in times and seasons. You cannot fight the time and season that God has ordained for you. In the season that something is supposed to happen, it will happen. So the enemy recognizes times and seasons. I have nothing to do with that. I, I, I can't even stop that. But if I can stop it, maybe I could join you. Maybe I could partner with you. Maybe I could taint the purity behind what you're building. Because what happens in the secret place is what you impart in the natural. You see, it is the reason. You might be wondering, there, someone may say, all they said to you, God loves you. God bless you. And you were just so moved. You, you started weeping. And you don't understand how someone, it's a word you've always heard. It's a word you say yourself to people, no, God loves you. But someone else says it to you and it, it hits you, it breaks you apart. Because it was not just a word you heard. You got invited into their intimacy. Because you see, God carries, the, 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 the reason we even say the presence of God, the glory of God. When the glory of God hits a room, there's an atmosphere. You, you can't all of a sudden, even if you were thinking about what you were going to have for brunch, you are just laid on your face. God, oh, the, the, it's the authority of God enters the room. No one needs to tell you when the presence hits because you sense a shift in the atmosphere. But what does this tell you about you? Because you were created in his image. You carry an atmosphere. And when Satan knows that he cannot stop you, he becomes a part of your atmosphere because that is what you are imparting in people without knowing. You see, there was a man named Moses and the Bible literally says concerning 
Joshua, who was his servant. Joshua, who was the one that, you know, when the Lord called Moses home, he said, Joshua will finish the job. But the Bible literally says this about Joshua, that Joshua was full of wisdom when Moses laid hands on him. You have to understand, how can a man lay hands on another man and there is a transfer of wisdom it is the atmosphere that man carried Moses was a man of the presence so he knew that whatever he moved wherever he stepped into a place if he prayed for you he was releasing his atmosphere the enemy could not taint what Moses had to give Joshua but the enemy recognizes if I can stop God raising you up there are people in this room you will not recognize yourself in a year in regards to the influence that God would give you. But the enemy knows he cannot stop you from attaining what God has purposed. But he could join you if you let him. So rather than your influence drawing people to the Lord, it begins to draw them into division and confusion. It begins to draw them into patterns and ways of the enemy. You cannot change a culture that you are like. God cannot use you to transform darkness and bring people out of darkness into his light if you join and partake of darkness while saying, God, I'm building your kingdom because he anointed you in the secret place, but now you're deviating from it. We have to get back to the place. Now we're not just fasting because we want a job. We're not just fasting because we want to get married. We're not just fasting because we want a child. We're not just fasting and we don't realize what we're doing because we sprinkle God in it. We say, God, please just bless me with this. God, please just do this for me. The Bible sets a standard. It says, if you seek first the kingdom of God, Everything else you desire will follow. Now, it doesn't mean that you can seek other things and you will get them if you, if you seek hard after it. But what is God after? God is after the purity of your impact. So he says, seek first my kingdom. Don't get so caught up in what you want to build for me. God could care less about what you build for him if your heart is contaminated. He could care less about what you do for him if your heart is not pure. That is why Jesus, there were people that came to Jesus. They literally said, Lord, look at all the things we did for you. We casted out demons in your name. We, we healed people in your name. We, we built things, Lord, in your name. You would think that he would be so moved. He said, well, because... You have to understand the weight of what they're saying, that they want people for Christ. But Jesus looks at them, he says, get away from me. I never knew you. I didn't need you to do any of that. I was never after what you could do for me. I was always after your heart. And you cannot be contaminated in the heart and say you are building for my kingdom. That is division. That is why, you see, when, when God cannot get himself involved when things look lukewarm, when there is a mixture of good and evil, because it takes us all the way to the garden and the agenda of the enemy from the start. The tree that he wanted them to eat from was a tree that was corrupted. It had some good, 
but it has some evil. And why was it not just the tree of evil? There was the tree of, you know what? There was a tree there of life, everlasting life. But then the enemy, from the very beginning, the strategy and the, of the enemy was always revealed. He says, no, eat of the tree of good and evil. Because while you're doing what is good, what is evil is hidden from your eyes. Because you're like, you know what, God, I'm, I'm going to grab this mic. I'm going to preach of the gospel. People are going to get saved. People are going to get healed. But I'm going to go back home to my bondage. I'm going to go back home to my issues. I'm going to go back home to my hatred. You see, even Jesus said that if you hate your brother, you are living in darkness. And that your eyes have been blinded by that darkness. But we're just like, God, I'm going to worship. I'm going to talk about you. When I get that award, I'm going to tell them, look at this, right here, the award. I'm going to pick it up and say, I just want to first give glory unto God, the head of my life. But then this turns into a different kind of bottle. And then I'm out doing things with people that I'm supposed to be witnessing to. That are like, man, you're just like us. And there is no conviction because you don't carry an atmosphere that speaks of the glory of God. And while you think you're doing good, you're blinded that evil is corrupted in your good. You see, the Bible says, reveals a mystery about Satan. It says that he comes as an angel of light. Satan is not, he is a, he is a master of disguise. He doesn't want you to know he is evil. I mean, because if, if, he could, if he didn't care any less, he would not come as an angel of light. It is deception. You see, Jesus came and redeemed us. Jesus came and, and gave us life. Jesus came and gave us access back to the tree of life. That it is possible to live a life with a pure heart. That you can build for the kingdom with purity in the walls of what you're building. You can build for the kingdom and not have to be compromised. We have to recognize God doesn't need what you're building. He even said, if you don't praise me, the rocks will praise me. I don't, in other words, God is like, bruh, I really don't need you to do what you think I need you to do. I'm after your heart. I'm after your heart. Because if I don't have your heart, then the enemy will join you in what you're building. God says, I'm after your heart. You see, I want you, if you've never read the story of Elijah and Elisha, I want you to read it. Because something so intriguing happened. Elijah, the Lord was calling him home. And Elisha was going to be his successor. And when Elijah was about to be taken up, first of all, I just prayed the Lord just, you know, takes me up. I pray he just takes me and my husband up together so we don't miss each other. <laughs> and the children will be fine. They don't file a missing report or anything. They'll see us leaving. <laughs> but, but later, later, like 100 years old, right? But Elijah is about to be taken up by the Lord. And God does it with style. He sends chariots. Can you imagine the, the skies opening, chariots are coming, you know, all this beautiful stuff? 
Elisha, Elijah asked Elisha, he said, what would you have me do for you? What do you want from me? And Elisha is like, man, a double portion of your anointing. In other words, Elisha goes straight to the language of purpose. He said, if there's anything you'll do for me, man, just purpose right here. A double portion of your anointing. And Elijah says, what you have asked of me is a hard thing. And he says this, but if you see me when I am taken up, then you will have it. What did Elijah mean by this? He says, Elisha, you're asking me for purpose. But purpose comes after purity. And man does not know the heart. God sees the heart of man. So what you're asking me, I can't give you because I'm not the one that weighs the intentions of your heart. He says, but if God would allow you to see this intimate moment of me being taken into heaven, then you will have it because that means he has weighed your heart in the balance. And he says, what you're asking me of, you are worthy of it. Elisha starts with purpose. Elijah responds with intimacy. He said, I, I can't even do that. I don't, I don't have the authority to do that because God has to weigh out your heart. Where is your heart in this? Do you want this to show off or do you want it because your heart is pure before God? Do you want this because you're like, God, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing, this is not about man. This is about your kingdom being established. You see, when God hides you, it's his mercy over you. When you feel that maybe you, you just feel like, God, I'm so anointed, I'm so talented, I'm so this, I'm so that, and nobody sees me, it is the mercy of God when he hides you. Because you have to understand the bigger picture. Because when God hides you, he's establishing you. He's making you have roots in him. When he hides you, it is a place of intimacy. And it's a place of intimacy that is cultivated in a way that you will not depart from it. The same thing the Bible says about children, train a child in the way that they should go. So when they are older, they will not depart from it. It is the language of God to train you and equip you in his presence, in the secret place. Because in that place you have understanding. You are equipped so that when God launches you and the enemy tries to blind your understanding, you're like, oh no, I, I'm strong in this thing with God. You can't shake me up because he is after you being effective for the kingdom. He is not after you growing in wealth. He's not after you being happy about the things you have. He's after your impact. It has always been about impact because the language of kingdom is a language of territory. It's about who can win the territory. I'm from Nigeria. At a point we were colonized by the British, right? They looked at our country and they saw territory. They said, we, we need that territory. Kingdom has the language of territory. They, they don't care about what you're doing in it. It's about who has the territory. So what God wants to do with your life is to equip you, is to empower you in him because you can only be fruitful in God. 
You don't want to miss it out there. You don't want to be the product of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You don't want your works to be contaminated while you're thinking I'm building the kingdom, but you're building something else. You want to let it come from a place of purity. And this is the charge that God gave me for this house to get back to your first love. Get back to your first love. Get back to the heart of God. When, you, when, when God has your heart, man, there is nothing he would withhold from you. When God has your heart, he will do mighty things through you. When God has the purity of your heart, purity is the reason that God anointed a teenager to be king. His name is, was David, a teenager. God didn't care about his age. When God has your heart, it, it, like you don't even understand the kind of favor you would have to be in rooms you have no business being in. A teenage boy is who God called to be the king over a nation because of his heart. God said, I could trust him to not pervert what I'm building. I could trust him. Get back to your first love, social. This is a message for you to write on your hearts. This is a message for you to marinate on because God is building something in this community and God is building something in your lives and you don't want to make room for the enemy to mix in and blend in with it. You don't want to make room for him to join you in what you're building for the kingdom. Get back to that secret place that nothing would distract you and nothing would pervert the purity of what God is doing in you and through you. Because it's going to be beautiful, family. I'm telling you, I cannot wait for what a year from now would look like for this house and the testimonies that will come out of this house and the, what God is going to do in the nations as a result of the call of God on this house and his people. So I want you to stand up with me. We're going to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I just want us to do something, you know, and I want you to just take it as an act of change, an act of, you know, repentance in the Bible. It literally means to, you know, turn the other way. You're walking in the wrong direction, and God says, turn the other way. Walk in the right direction, right? That there's something that transforms in you. You see, the heart of God would never be to condemn you. It would never be to shame you, but it is to illuminate your path. You want to know if you're standing in the right or in the wrong. You want to know, God, where am I in alignment with you? God, God is for you. He is after you. And he doesn't want you to miss it. He doesn't want you to miss it. If you've been compromising in your life, I want you to examine where did that come from? And the peace that you feel, who gave it to you? Is that the true peace that comes from the Lord or is that the world peace? Because Jesus will use the language and say, the peace that I give you. So there is peace that could come from other places. But where you are experiencing compromise in your life, 
it is a sign of blindness because it's progressive. It's progressive. And if you're in the house and you're saying, God, I know that was for me and I want to get back to my first love. I've been so distracted and depressed and anxious about who am I? What is my purpose in you that I've missed what it's always been about. It's always been about Jesus. It's always been about relationship with Him. And He reveals to you what He's called you to do out of that place. It's not backwards. I just want you to take a step, a, 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 a prophetic act, if you will. And just wherever you're sitting, just come as close to the altar as you can. And we're gonna pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In moments like this, you know, we, we often get mindful of who's looking at us. We often get mindful of, ah, what, what are they gonna think about us? But I would say this to you, your freedom in God is more important than being validated by the person sitting or standing next to you. Because what I'm asking you to do right now is also about the posture of your heart. What do I really care about? Do I care about my walk with God? Or do I care about what the people around me are gonna think? Freedom is liberating. And when your heart is in that space of God, it's you. It's you I desire. It's you my heart is after. I could care less about what the person next to me thinks about where I've been in my life. And I'm saying this because the Lord is also showing me there's some of you and you're leaders. And you're so mindful right now, like, man, I don't want people thinking that I was just, you know, wilding out here. <laughs> no, it's personal. It's personal. Only you know the places in your heart you're saying, God, I need to repent. I need to turn back to you. I need to, I need to change my ways. I've been obsessed about the wrong thing. I need to repent. And maybe some of you, the Lord is calling you into a fast, not for anything, but for Him, for His presence. Not for your list, not for the things you want Him to bless, but for His presence. You see, when you are a friend of God, He looks out for you. Moses, a friend of God. People were talking about Moses. Moses did not even know what was being said about him. God, can you imagine when God just steps in to defend you? When he like, it, 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 is, it was such a beautiful picture. God is literally like, how dare they talk about my friend Moses? He took it personal. And he goes and the Lord shows up in a very, you know, lordy fashion. <laughs> And he gave an illness. <laughs> and it wasn't that, you know, God is just judging people and making people sick. No. It was just a sign of his judgment like Moses. I got your back, man. I got you. And Moses is the one saying, God, no, please heal her. Heal her. Don't do that. Don't do that. When you're a friend of God, there are things you don't even have to worry about. When you are focused on Jesus, he will tell you things to come. Abraham, another friend of God, 
Where's the... Pause it for a second, please. There's something that I just keep sensing. The Lord wants to hear your shout and your cry out. No music. No music. No music. No music. Because the Lord is listening to you. He is listening to what is taking place even in your heart. He is listening to that. There are things you don't even have to utter. That when you are a friend of God, a shift in your posture, God is already, he is looking what is taking place. Thank you, Jesus. In this moment, don't hold back whatever is in your heart right now to the Lord. He is listening to you. He is listening to you. Thank you, Lord. There is such a safe space in this atmosphere for you to let yourself go before him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. The presence of God is in this place. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, move like only you can. Friends of God, friends of God, friends of God. That's what God is after. He's after friendship with you. He's after friendship with you. Because in that posture of friendship family, you don't have to worry. In that posture of friendship, even when you have a down moment, the spirit of the Lord begins to speak to you, begins to minister to you as a friend would, a friend of God. Let us be pursuers of his presence, of intimacy, and we will see revival across our nations. True revival. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, we are come before you. And we're not asking of anything except you. Moses said, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not send me. There is nothing to build outside of your presence. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room and everyone listening a global family everywhere, that you will begin to weigh the intentions of our hearts behind everything that we do, that we surrender everything at your feet, that, Lord, we don't want to go another step if you are not going with us. Lord, we thank you that we are going to be intentional to cultivate intimacy with you. We are gonna be intentional, God. We are gonna be intentional. Lord, everywhere we have compromised, we repent. And we're coming back to you, turning our hearts back to you to say, Lord, give me understanding. Give me revelation and insight behind this thing you told me to do because, Lord, I don't want to miss it in you. And it's okay to say, God, I have questions. 
because he is the answer. You can't be the word if you don't have things to say. He has something to give to you. But come before him and say, God, I don't, I don't know. I have this knowledge, but I don't have understanding. Holy Spirit, teach me. Teach me why this is the way you want me to follow. Teach me. Give me insight so that I can stand. That even when attack comes, Lord, I will stand. That the enemy will not be so easy to sway me, but I will stand and represent you. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in this house and over the lives of your sons and daughters. Lord, you're saying to me, you have heard their cry. You have heard their cry. And all you desire is intimacy. In that place, there will be understanding. Everything you are searching for is in the presence of God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love you. Have your way. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online, and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world.